Good morning. Happy New Year. How are we doing? We made jokes on Christmas Eve about how warm it was, and here we are in the north, in the Arctic tundra. Well, my name's Mark. If we haven't met, uh, I have the privilege of being the student minister here at the Siena campus, and normally you would be seeing Pastor Malcolm here, uh, but we had some shifting around of roles uh, this morning due to um, a family emergency and Pastor Greg's family. So he's covering that, and everything is fine, and they're handling that, but Pastor Malcolm is, uh, is going to be at the loop today. And so here I am with you this morning. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're kicking off a series in, uh, in the wisdom of Solomon. And so if you have a Bible, you can grab that and go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes, kind of right in the middle of the Bible. It may not be one of the more familiar books, so go ahead and if you need to grab that table of contents, no shame in your game there. Um, it's right after Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It falls in the wisdom literature. And so uh, it's interesting that we're going to be learning uh, from Solomon. We've been studying uh, David's writings, and so Solomon is going to be uh, teaching us today. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes follows this, uh, interestingly enough, kind of at the end of his life. He, he did write uh, in, in, in some other books earlier on. In Song of Solomon, he wrote uh, when he was a young man. Um, he's written in Proverbs uh, as kind of a middle-aged man, and then, and then in uh, Ecclesiastes as an, as an older man, as, as in his latter years. And I just have to give you just the biggest warning in the world right now. This is not an easy book. Um, this is one of those moments where uh, this is this is a lot like, and, and I find myself as a as a student minister who's also 38 and like. Full-on going gray, um, I, I, I stand in front of students on Wednesday nights, and sometimes I, I want to bring my, my 38 years of wisdom, right, which little there is, um, and I want to say, there's a better way. We don't have to go this way. We can go this way. And, and sometimes I'm looking at teenagers and be like, nah, I, don't, I think I know better. And I'm like, I said the same thing when I was your age. And uh, I have a better path for you. And sometimes I look at some of the older guys that have gone before me, the, 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 the gentlemen that I really, I, I, I crave their attention so that I can learn from them, from their wisdom. And sometimes I, in my like wisdom and stature, think I know a better way. And, and guys 20, 30 years ahead of me are saying, oh, slow down, buck, you know, uh, you slow down. So anyway, um, he is going to write here in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, just a difficult message. And so some of you who are tired of the cheeriness of, of Bible messages always being so sweet and, and poetic and beautiful, this is going to be a breath of fresh air. And some of you who want that cupcake, you're not going to get it today. You're not, you're not going to get it today. Happy New Year. Welcome to church. <laughs> put the youth pastor up in the front of the firing squad on the first Sunday of the year. No, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but but I, do, I do find it interesting. So, so I, I wanted to give you that context because where we're headed is going to require you to kind of maybe open up your parameters for your thinking about what the Bible's all about. Um, every, every year, uh, Google releases uh, kind of a, a year in review in their searches. And so this is where you find out what the last year was like, and they'll break it down for you by, by the year and what was the most popular searches over the years. You can break it down by, by local um, and by global and, and all that kind of stuff by the month if you want. And so I found it interesting. I was scrolling, and I thought I was looking at the most popular searches, but I was looking at them by month. 
And so I got to February and I started searching like uh, freeze, freeze. And I'm like, oh, the whole world was learning about Texas in February because everyone was searching freeze, uh, power outage, you know, stuff like that. But it's interesting. I brought four of the, 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 the most popular uh, global searches over the course of 2021. The first one um, is, will there be another lockdown? <laughs> that, was a, that was a popular search. Um, there was a search, how to heal. That was one of the most popular searches, how to honor someone, um, someone that had passed uh, due to COVID most likely. And then uh, this last one was one of the most popular searches over the course of the whole uh, years, how to take care of your mental health. And if you go and look, it's not hard to find Google, uh, you're in, in search or search and review or something like that. You'll be able to find what some of the people are looking for. There's a lot, there's a lot of searches related to purpose, and meaning. And I think even in all the searches that we talk about here in church, or whether it's, whether it's a sermon or whether it's a, a Google search, uh, you're seeing that the search for purpose and the search for significance is something that we're all constantly, we're all constantly on that train looking for, for purpose. And Solomon was there. Okay, so let me give you kind of Solomon's bio. If you're not super familiar with Solomon, um, he was the second son of David and Bathsheba. Uh, he was the third and last king of Israel. Israel. He reigned 40 years. Um, so the first uh, king was Saul, then there was David, and then there was Solomon. Um, he wrote Song of Solomon as a youth, like I said, Proverbs in his middle age years, and Ecclesiastes in his latter years. And then he oversaw the completion of the construction of the Jewish, Jewish temple. Um, and so this is, this is someone who um, is not listed here exactly, and, and we're going to learn in Ecclesiastes about exactly what he spent his life doing, but this uh, man was, was listed, I think in 1 Kings 4.30 it says that he was the wisest man who ever lived. Um, his wisdom surpassed everyone in that region and in the entire world. Uh, he was incredibly rich. Um, there's a point in Ecclesiastes where he's going to say, I was searching for all these things, these pleasures, these things, and, and I didn't spare myself of anything. He had whatever he wanted. And, and if I can just go ahead and, and, and give you the theme of what Ecclesiastes is about, we're going to look at the first three verses really quickly here. It's going to say, uh, I got my, my two different versions up here. Let me get the right version. Uh, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Other versions say everything is meaningless. They say vanity of vanities. Everything is meaningless. And, and it's interesting. Um, the, the word meaningless for me doesn't quite capture what he's saying. If you go in the, in the research, the, the, that word meaningless or vanity or futile, what he's actually saying is everything is like a vapor. Like it's just there for a second and then it's just gone. It's a vapor or smoke. It's just, it's just gone. And so what he's going to say, and this is, again, going to be depressing for so many of us in here. <laughs> everything you're busy doing. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's smoke. Now, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to try not to spoil the whole series, but I want you to pay attention that he is going to, uh, that first verse, it says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. When you see that word teacher, 
I want you to recognize that Solomon is uh, cleverly writing this book in like two different ver- in two different voices. Okay, um, he is introducing the book in these first couple verses. He's just telling you. This is, about, this is about to be a journey we're going to be on. The majority of the book, almost the whole book, is written in the voice of this teacher. I've heard it said that uh, you could look at this person as a critic. Um, this is an old man who's telling you um, your pursuits are, are, are meaningless. Now, again, spoiler. Solomon doesn't believe your life is meaningless. Solomon doesn't believe your pursuits are all meaningless per se. But he is going to list out a whole argument. It's this writing device, this literary device that he's going to use to set up all the things that we care about in this world and he's going to knock them all down and say it's all meaningless. And he's going to, at the end, wrap up the one thing that does matter in this world. Okay, so hold on. We're going to walk through some of this stuff. Uh, we are a Bible-believing church. Uh, we, would, we would not uh, ever look at this and just say, well, let's skip it because it's difficult. I think it's actually incredibly helpful if we look at this through the right lens to kick off a year, to think about what we really want to be involved in, to think about what kind of the nucleus of thought in our lives. So if you take everything away, and you get right down to the foundation of your life, what everything is, is, is coming down to, it's either going to be God or it's going to be something else, right? Everything. When you think about all the pretty things that we have, all the, all the decorations that we've added to this earth that we've been given, right? Just our jobs, our money, our, our vacations, our families, our everything. Even the things that we hold up in high esteem, like, yeah, he's a family man. Like, yeah, he's, he's the man I want to look, because, like, he's doing all these things well. He's a great father. He's a great husband. He's, he gives. He serves, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, don't, don't take any of that and put it over the absolute most important person who is God, because that is the danger in, in, in idolatry, in, in, in chasing after some of the things that are on top of God, they shouldn't be, okay? That's, that's where we're headed. So here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter one, we, we learned vanity of vanities, right? They're futile, everything is futile. So we're gonna pick it up in verse uh, three. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting it, returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind. You felt that as you were walking in outside. (laughs) And the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, and yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place, and they flow there again. Let me pause there for just a second. This is just kind of one of those moments where, where he is going to specifically talking about like the cycles of nature. And we should be thankful for the cycles of nature. And God has put wonderful systems in place. 
But it is for me, when I read this, I'm hearing him say, think of all the things that are so important to you and like there's nothing you can do to change kind of the cycles of nature. Like it's gonna keep happening. It's like the waters keep flowing and they never quite empty and they're always kind of full and, and it's just kind of the way God set it up. And, and he, you know, he's kind of wondering like, does, does anything ever change? Verse eight, all things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled by hearing. What, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything? Look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. And there will be no remembrance by those who follow them. It's sweet, isn't it? <laughs> so we're just going to live, and we're going to die and be forgotten. Okay. He is, he is building up this argument. Again, if I can just remind us, because we're going to read, and we're going to kind of trudge through all of this. It's good. It's God-inspired content. He wants us to see this. But he wants you to see that some of our pursuits, if I can just say it again, are a vapor or a mist. Even the things that you would say are meaningful, they're a vapor and they're a mist. And we can work hard in all of our pursuits. And you know what? It doesn't change the sun setting or rising. It doesn't change the waters coming or going, right? The hurricanes are going to come. The hurricanes are going to go. Right? There's nothing we can do to impact that. And that's why some of us tend to, to get, to get in, into a, a depressive state, but, but we're going to keep going. I, the teacher, this is verse 12. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. This is where you're going to see kind of his resume in this, in this matter. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. <laughs> this is the Bible. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. Now, I want to I just, uh, as we can see this, he's going to use that word, that phrase, under the sun, over and over and over again. He's going to use this phrase kind of like vanity or futility, some 40 different times throughout the book, and then under the sun, maybe like 30 times. And th when you think of under the sun, I want you to, to position yourself kind of living here on earth. We are living these temporary lives, right? Where we are very finite beings, and God is infinite. He is not under the sun as we are, okay? So that's what, that's what that, that, that means, okay? It's a pursuit of the wind, what is crooked cannot be straightened. This is verse 15. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, Grief increases. Boy, if that ain't the truth. I told our students this last fall, I said, you know, it's funny, like as a, 
as, as a 38-year-old man, there's, there's these moments where I've learned as I, as I try to learn more about the world going on around me, as I try to learn more at the, about the Bible, as I try and learn more about life, I really just learn that I don't know anything. <laughs> I, I learn things in a certain area, and someone says, well, have you considered this? I'm like, hmm, I haven't. I just haven't. And it's just kind of that way, right? You learn, and you learn uh, in your process of learning that there's a lot more to learn. This, this reminds me of those moments in, in the scriptures where uh, Job is complaining, and God says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you? Were you aware? Are you even aware of what's going on a mile away from you, from you right now? Like, I am aware of all of it. And so we have to have this right-sized humility as we read. So if I can just give you a glimmer of hope in this first point, really quickly, the first point that I want you to just consider is that when we elevate the temporary over the eternal, we encourage pointless living. When we elevate the temporary over the eternal, because I think some of us know where this is going. Obviously, we're not saying God is pointless. We're not saying a life lived for Jesus is pointless. That's not what we're saying. That's not what Solomon is saying. We're going to get there. There's 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. But the point is that when we elevate the temporary over the eternal, it encourages pointless living. And we do that. We all sink into that. We all, even in our, in, our, in our brightest moments, we still have these moments where we, where we seek after um, temporary gratification. Things on earth to make us feel good. Whether that's relationships or our career or our social status or power or money or possessions or homes. And isn't this what Solomon is saying? I have purchased all of it. I've been involved in all of the relationships I've had ultimate pleasure. And you know what? It's a vapor. It's a, it leaves me feeling empty, is what Solomon is saying. When we elevate the temporary over the eternal, we encourage pointless living. Let's push on. In a, in a chapter two, he's going to get pretty specific about some of the things he's, he's sought after. Verse one. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with uh, pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, which for me, he's just saying, they're like, I drank some, but I didn't get too drunk. I still had some wisdom going on. This is what he's saying. The Bible can let us laugh every once in a while. Until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of our lives. So I'm going to keep going. Verse 4. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. 
My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished, what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Like if, if I can just kind of sum up, uh, there, there's, there's, a point, um, there's a point where you look at all the things that Solomon looked for purpose in, he looked for purpose in knowledge. He looked for purpose in pleasure. He looked for purpose briefly in alcohol. He looked for purpose in achievements, in work, in possessions, in relationships. He looked for purpose in all those things like we tend to do. And we'd call them a vapor or smoke or a mist, meaningless, futile. We tend to do those things and, and, and what what we would say, if, if you want to um, take it in the context of, like, say, Moses. Moses um, rescues the people out of Egypt, and um, he's up on the mountain, literally receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And they couldn't be bothered to wait until he comes, comes back down, comes back down, and what are they doing? They have crafted an idol for themselves to worship, which is so silly to us, because who on this earth would worship something that they made? I'll just let you sit and think about that. I do it, you do it, right? We worship it because we give our minds attention and our hearts affection to it. It, it becomes the thing that, that is the foundation of our world. It's a chase after money or success, whether it's rising up the ladder in your job, whether it's giving everything of you to your family, if it's over top of God, what we said, when we elevate the temporary over the eternal, we've completely missed it. In other parts of the Bible, we would call it idol worship. In this case, what he's saying is, I've, I've searched all these things. It's futile. It's a vapor. It's a mist. One of the things that I think is interesting is that Solomon is trying to teach us about how to live, live in a certain way where this stuff doesn't uh, hold our attention. And, and, the, and the second point is this, that open-handed living guarantees satisfaction. Open-handed living. What's open-handed living? Well, it's an understanding that this world is going to uh, have things happen that, that don't make sense. Right, as much as we teach our kids that if you study, you get good grades, right? If you do the right thing, you'll be rewarded. If you do good, good things will come. And sometimes the world doesn't work like that, right? Look at all these, look at all these students that rose up through a system, getting ready to graduate and do college just to, to have like COVID happen. <laughs> and it's like, no one knew that was coming. No one knew they couldn't do college. That's, that's, and that's minor, right? That's minor. Sometimes the people who don't deserve success get success. And sometimes your absolute, like, your hero has something terrible happen to them. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? And there's nothing you can do it. Open-handed living, specifically in the realm of, like, 
possessions, I think helps us understand that we can have contentment and satisfaction because it's that chase after material possessions that ends up kind of creeping into our brain and, 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 and poisoning our thoughts about what life should be about. Paul had the same thought in Philippians 4. Remember, he's, he's writing from a prison cell, and his, his letter in Philippians is just about joy. And um, writing about joy from a prison cell means that you can trust this man, understanding that joy doesn't come from circumstances. It comes from kind of an inner understanding that God is king and he's on his throne. If I place my life in him, then I can have that true joy. And that's really the only way you can have that true joy. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 to 13 says, I've learned uh, to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, there's a Bible verse you see in a lot of high school football locker rooms. It's not about football. <laughs> sure, put it in your locker room if you want to. But this is about, this is about you understanding that if you have joy, if you have contentment in Christ, my goodness, Open-handed living, right? Open-handed living. If I have contempt, if I if I have the mindset, albeit somewhat depressing, of, of Solomon here, if I have that mindset walking through life, you know what doesn't happen to me? It doesn't wreck me when something bad happens. It doesn't wreck me when maybe I have I have a, a goal that I don't hit. When I am not able to acquire the thing I wanted to acquire, it doesn't wreck me. Open-handed living guarantees satisfaction. Understanding that God is on the throne and he will do what he's going to do and he will keep every promise guarantees satisfaction and guarantees contentment. If I can uh, give you this, this third point really quickly. Significance... Um, depends entirely on your connectedness to God. I'm going to show you a graphic real quick, and then I want to point you to a, a portion of Scripture. Um, there's, there's kind of a two, two different uh, columns here. Connected to, when we're connected to God, we experience true joy, which is something external. Life has meaning. We experience fulfillment. We enjoy a pleasure that honors God. It's a good thing to honor God through pleasure. It's a good thing. Like, it's not a bad thing to enjoy a good meal, to enjoy your family, to, to feel the sun hitting your face when the weather is just perfect, right? My, one of my favorite things in this world is to, like, have the, it's like 70 and sunny and just a little windy, and I'm driving, and the music is really loud, and my windows are down. That's a good day for me. It's not a bad thing to enjoy that. It is a bad thing to elevate that over God, right? Um, rhythm and harmony we experience when we're connected to God. When we're disconnected from God, best case scenario, happiness, which is external. So like for sure, you're gonna have a good day, but that happiness is for sure fleeting. Life has little to no meaning. We experience dissatisfaction and disappointment. We enjoy pleasure that dishonors God and we have unevenness and instability. Solomon was someone who, who understood more than, more than the rest of us 
chasing after all these things that we chase after don't end us up anywhere good. But at the risk of spoiling the whole series, here we go. I would like you to look at chapter 12 with me because Solomon is going to kick back into gear. He's going to take back over the book in, uh, in verse 8, and we're going to look specifically at verse 13 and 14, okay? And here's what Solomon is going to say. Because the, the teacher, you're going to hear more from the teacher for the next 10 chapters. He's going to talk more about all that stuff. I did this, you know, sum it up like vanity of vanity, everything is vanity. Like that's what it says. But then Solomon is going to take over for the teacher. Remember, there's two voices. The teacher, the critic, this old man who's like, I've searched everything, I've found it, it's all vanity. Solomon, the author, is going to say, when all's been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So we chase after God. This is a good thing to do. If you wanna, if you wanna do the whole study in the book of Ecclesiastes to kind of lead up for what's going on, go for it. But these last, these last verses, verse 13 and 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. And that, after Solomon's pursuits, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna learn um, the easy way? Because <laughs> he learned the hard way. Right? He chased out the amount of spending, the amount of pursuit. I'm not someone generally who likes to learn the easy way. I like to learn the hard way. Anyone with me? Like, oh, I'll figure it out for myself. Okay, I should have just listened the first time. This is one of those moments where we're, we're kicking off a new year, and, and as we think about all these things, I want to just encourage you. Fear God and keep his commandments. Because at the end of the day, this life is not about what we make it or what we do with it. It's not about our possessions. It's not about what we end up with. There's, there's so many moments in here where he talks about death, especially those last years before death. It's not a fun chapter to read. And he's gonna talk about all the wealth that you amass and then you just hand it off to someone else because you can't take it with you. It's meaningless, it's futile, it's a vapor, it's smoke and fear God and keep his commandments. Because at the, at the beginning of this whole thing, God created humanity. And he gave us this planet to, to have dominion over. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. He didn't say, make sure, make sure you climb up that corporate ladder. That's going to be, woof, that's going to be very important for you to do. And your house has got to be nice, cars, you're going to want some vacation time and all that. None of that. He wants relationship with you. There's a, there's a quote from a book I've been reading, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, that um, struck me, struck me when I read it. And this will be how we, how we close. If we never come to Jesus, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will his lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other. To none will Jesus be neutral. And that, for me, sums up what this message is all about and what this book is all about. We all get caught up in the pursuit. So if this seems like a, 
me blasting you, it's me blasting me, right? Well, let's remember what, what we've been created for. Let me just tell you, if, if you're a, a believer in Jesus, then let's let this life be about fearing God and keeping his commandments. If you're not a believer, if I can just say it this way, there's no hope. There's no hope without Jesus. There's absolutely no hope without Jesus. And the Bible sums it up so simply. It just says, if you will confess that God, I'm sorry, that Jesus is the son of God, and you'll believe that God rose him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's, there's no better decision to make today. For, for some of us, we're thinking, okay, don't make life about the pursuits. Don't make life about this. For some of us, we need to get right down to the ground level and be like, I was created by God. He wants a relationship with me, and I need to embrace full surrender right now. And if that's you, it's just as simple as calling out to God and saying, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. It's a free gift. You can receive that today. Be the absolute best decision you can make. For some of us, maybe we need to kind of reprioritize our thoughts, our pursuits. Because maybe you, you are saved. Maybe you're a Christian. You're a you're a you are following Jesus. Jesus is on the throne of your life, but, but you've kind of gotten knocked off by focusing, like we all have during Christmas, for Pete's sake. We get knocked off, all that focus. Let's get, let's get back on. Let's put God right back on the throne where he belongs in our life. Why don't you bow your heads for just a moment? Our prayer for you today is that you would right-size your thoughts about life, your thoughts about God, your thoughts about your priorities. And in just a few moments, one of the things that, one of the best things that we could do to kick off this year, to kind of punctuate this message is to take the Lord's Supper together. And so one of our deacons, Case and White, is gonna be leading us in that. And I'd just love to pray um, to lead us into that moment. But whatever decision you need to make today, please don't leave this room without talking to one of us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just place ourselves at your feet when we remember that we, we were created for you. We weren't created for all the things that we do think about day in and day out. Lord, thank you for leveling everything through this book of Ecclesiastes, which is sometimes difficult to read but just levels everything that we go after that's not you. You've reminded us that this is all about you. So God, we place ourselves at your feet as we take the Lord's Supper together. I pray that this would be a reflection time on what our life has been like and maybe a commitment, a recommitment on what we need it to be in the future, what, we, what we're asking you to do in our lives. Lord, I pray this be a sweet time of communion.